Hello and welcome to Earth Calling. We're your hosts, Ed and Laszlo. Every week, we take you on a journey through the wonderful world of online content, sorting through the tweets, the memes, the Insta queens, the grams, the snaps, and the fake news traps. This is our record of humanity in the 21st century, our digital legacy left behind for future spacefaring civilizations. So sit back, relax, and buckle in. This is Earth Calling. Welcome back, Earth Callers. This week we are chatting about Wikipedia, the internet's free encyclopedia. Ed, do you remember when Wikipedia was not quite as reputable as it is today and you know, would be this resource you'd often find little holes in, little inaccuracies, which would probably be a bit picked out by your history teacher at school um, when you had referenced Joan of Arc and her Sainsbury's loyalty card or something like that. <laughs> I think, um, to be fair, Wikipedia remains littered with inaccuracies. But yes, there was a time when Wikipedia was a lot less accurate and, and much less of a source of truth than it is today because if i'm completely honest at university wikipedia did become something of a gospel a bible and it never made it into the footnotes of any of my work <laughs> but it was heavily influential you know when people when people do an oscar speech and they credit people with their success you know i want to thank my mom my dad my university degree um the unsung hero was wikipedia uh, for sure and I, I'm not sure I would say I remember a particular point where it wasn't accurate. For me, it was always it was always the truth as far as I was concerned academically. What about you? Well, it's interesting you say that because I distinctly remember that in my school days before university, as a teenager, Wikipedia was this website that people went on to sort of get the general picture of a topic. You know, you didn't really look at Wikipedia to, to give you the the minute details, the... You got the gist. Precise. You got the gist. You got the gist. And then... Jesus, son of God, carpenter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, nice. That's that. N- n- nice bloke. Yeah. And then <laughs> all, and then nice all of a sudden... <laughs> then all of a sudden, something changed. Maybe what actually changed was my attitude towards this platform of truth and the fact that I actually had to take it seriously if I was going to somehow fill the carcass of my university essays with some kind of meat but at some point i i feel like i started really treating these wikipedia articles quite seriously and uh, and relying on them like you said for for really rather compelling arguments in my uh, in my academic life but that's because and I, I would completely agree and i think that's because as we grew up wikipedia and its army of content moderators grew up with us and became far more sophisticated and so we went from jesus equals son of god done and dusted to jesus comma son of god born on 24th of december zero um, was uh, was a carpenter and you know had a slightly large uh, index finger. I don't know where that came from? 
could, could have been useful for the water into wine. Had six fingers on his left hand. Or was that Anne Boleyn? Well, never mind. <laughs> Wikipedia, the Wikipedia army will sort that out. Are you a member of the Wikipedia army, by the way? I'm not, but I, I was doing a little bit of research to try and understand who these people are, because in my mind, they um, were kind of an army of middle-aged men who mainly spend their time either inside editing Wikipedia articles or playing World of Warcraft or on a Reddit sub forum dedicated to space exploration. <laughs> it turns out that's actually kind of accurate. Uh, yeah, and I want to say that at least two of those activities I personally do partake in. I won't reveal which, but I, I there's a worrying <laughs> uh, over there's a worrying overlap between me and your profiling of the Wikipedia editor. But what I wonder is what the hell happened before Wikipedia? So if you think back to our parents' generation, let's say they were at university, and they need to learn about the <laughs> lesser-spotted toad. They, well, they presumably went to the library and had to, like, literally get a book out and then flick through that book to find that toad. And now you just Google it. I, no, but I mean, I think Wikipedia is known as the online encyclopedia, and encyclopedias used to actually exist, but they were these enormous books, you know, like yellow pages, basically, which had incredibly thin pages, and then you just <laughs> flick your way, you just flick your way to the lesser spotted toad, and there'd be kind of like this little thumbnail in the corner. Yeah, the lesser spotted toad was first discovered in 1942 by Jonathan Bonkenspittel, or something, <laughs> who had who had uh, German ancestry. Yeah, but the, but <laughs> but if that if that entry didn't exist, or if the entry was a bit useless, that was that. It wasn't like you could go to another encyclopedia. You know, you had the Encyclopedia Britannica, I believe, which was a source of truth mm -hmm. for our parents' generation. But nowadays, if it's not on Wikipedia, you just Google it anyway, and you go to the images, and you've got a pretty good idea of what it looks like within seconds. So the question, I guess, is: Has our ability to learn stuff got a lot more efficient? Uh, I, I think no. I think what, what's happened is that we now no longer need to work very hard for information. So the result of not working very hard for information is that we don't hold on to the information for very long. So mm. like t today alone, not just in preparation for this episode, I was just, you know, Googling stuff, Wikipedia stuff. I must have consumed more than 50, 100 pages at a minimum of, of content right and I could probably only tell you about three or four of those instances right those like learning events and I mm. feel like in the in the scenario where you actually go to a library and pick up a book and learn something you, because there's a whole experience connected to that bit of information you're much better equipped uh, to hold on to it so you think that we've become kind of content magpies almost who yeah, exactly. are just dipping around and just nestling in and grabbing a little bit of content, picking it up and then taking it, but ignoring all the other stuff and able to sift through huge amounts of it without really taking in the bits that don't matter. Is that a magpie? Probably not, but yeah. Uh, no, I, I would say actually it's much, mu that's, that's behavior, which I would attribute more to the lesser spotted toad actually, which ah, uh, <laughs> of course, <laughs> professor Pompelspittles or whatever um, <laughs> his name was. Of course, I don't remember because I consumed the information in a, internet rampage but he uh, he's written at length about this creature but in terms of the preparation for this episode so like all diligent podcasters 
I looked up Wikipedia. And of course, the great irony is where better to learn about Wikipedia than on Wikipedia itself. <laughs> so I found the Wikipedia Wikipedia page, uh, a bit of Wikiception, as it were. Um, very meta, although that'd be a terrible film in that Wikiception. But um, so I, I dug into the article and it turns out that Wikipedia was founded in 2001. So about 20 years ago, and it was founded by Jimmy Wales and Larry Sanger. And Sanger coined the name as a portmanteau of wiki and encyclopedia. Now, in the article, which I've just quoted from, I, of course, didn't know what the word portmanteau meant. Um, So I had to Wikipedia that. And, of course, (laughs) geniusly, you can actually just click... You didn't... Oh, you're surprised I don't know what portmanteau is? I'm surprised as a student of French who is deliberately saying the word in a perfect (laughs) French accent that you don't know what it means. It's quite amazing. Uh, I would just say that uh, portmanteau is not uh, the same word in French, I think. I might be wrong. If anybody in France is listening, let me know. My personal uh, opinion, if I remember correctly, is portmanteau is uh, a combination of two words together to form a larger world. Well, you are quite right. Uh, 20 out of 20 <laughs> for uh, Laszlo. But uh, <laughs> en fait, what we have is a combination of wiki and encyclopedia. Now, unfortunately, okay. I didn't. I also didn't know what wiki uh, meant. Do you know what that oh. means? Yeah, I think it's a Hawaiian word for knowledge. No. So that was close. <laughs> so I then had to Wikipedia wikis. And by this point, I was getting a little bit frustrated, even though it's a couple of clicks away. But a wiki, it turns out, is a hypertext publication collaboratively edited and managed by its own audience directly using a web browser. So quickly, I must interrupt because I was actually only half wrong. Uh, wiki, it derives from the Hawaiian word wiki, meaning quick. And of course, I did just myself Wikipedia I'm currently on the Wikipedia article for Wikipedia, which you you purport to have read yourself. And I've discovered... See, I mean, now I'm just thinking about university essays. You know, you just pick and choose those (laughs) bloody arguments. I didn't Uh, nip into the etymology section, Laszlo. I I stuck very much like... It's in the first paragraph, Edward. (laughs) It's in the first bloody paragraph. Makes me sicky. Oh, sicky. Returning to the great hunt for content, which we embark on every week, I decided to activate a feature of Wikipedia, which I'm sure we're all familiar with, the random article generator. I, do, I think, that, <laughs> hang on, that is a huge assumption to make. Um, as I, not everybody <laughs> plays World of Warcraft in their basement and is familiar with the random article generator. Is that how you spend your Sundays? Uh, <laughs> You know, in between that and uh, the local bridge club, yeah. So basically, I will explain what the random article generator is now that you've suggested that not everyone spends their weekends doing this. It's just a button on the side of Wikipedia that says random article. And as you would imagine, clicking that link opens up just any any page from the how many million did you say, Ed? Uh, I think it was 5.5... No, 55 million, I think it was, wasn't it? 55 55 million, million. yeah. Yeah. But what I love, what you mentioned that I love about the random article generator is that it lands you on these pages, which I honestly think nobody has ever sought out actively in the history of Wikipedia. So to give you an example, I was flung on this page, which goes as follows. 
Craig of the Welsh Hills. <laughs> now, let's explain what that is. Craig of the Welsh Hills is a novel written by Roy Saunders in 1958. It was first published in London by Oldbourne Press. The novel follows the adventures of Craig, a champion border collie herding dog who escapes into the Welsh hills following a car accident and becomes a sheep killer, <laughs> evading a the efforts killer? of his <laughs> a sheep killer, evading the efforts of his owner to recapture him. End of article. Well, I was going to say that's amazing because I was thinking that Craig is not a very Welsh name. So is Craig a dog that has come down from London, perhaps, or down from England into Wales? He's come into Wales, but he's actually from London, and the car's broken down. He's escaped out the back. And he... I think the main issue is that Craig is not a dog's name. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, when, when you said Craig, I was like, oh, okay, this is like clearly a person, but yeah. Turns out it's actually a border collie. It's a border collie who discovers his very dark side after a, a, enduring a traumatic car accident. I mean, is the, is Craig driving the car? Is this border border collie driving the car and gets into a crash? What's happening? I think that Craig is a, an East End border collie who's come on down. He's come down all the way to Wales from the East End of London, and he's uh, had a bit of a bust up in the car. He's uh, had a bit of trouble and strife with his old vehicle, and um, he's got out of it, and he's gone, fucking hell, I like the look of that sheep. I'll have a bit of that <laughs> lamb leg or mutton. And he's gone on a rampage, and the sheep, they go, oh, no, bloody yellow Cleek, you got my back. Oh, that, sorry, that was... <laughs> that, oh was scouse, that was, that was scouse, scouse, yeah. I think you've totally miscast him because he's a champion Border Collie herding dog. So you know, he's kind of this, hello, I'm Craig. I was cursed with this awful oh. human name. <laughs> and I'm, I, and where previously I used to you know, sort of gather these sheep, I sort of you know, ran around them in circles and, and make sure they got into this rect- rectangular pen. Well, now I've decided I sort of... Got a, got, got a bit of a taste for the meat, so to say. Do you think he ignores the mutton? I've always been confused by the fact that there's like a shed load of sheep and people eat beef and they, you know, they eat pork. But when it comes to sheep, they only like the young. Bit weird, that, no? Like, everyone's like, ooh, mutton. Mm, bit tough, mutton. Bit tough. What does that mean? Like, beef is regular cows right i guess you've got veal right which is like young young cows which is you know a bit messed up and i was like oh veal's a bit messed up but they'll tuck into the lamb no problem you're a vegetarian of course yeah but i do like my salmon juvenile (laughs) actually (laughs) actually i I really don't also i mean probably confusing for people who just heard that i'm vegetarian that i do eat salmon is it's that really terrible modern label pescatarian i just don't like to really reveal yeah what more can you say? I love it. But the yeah, the idea of a rather smart... It's not Craig, it's Charles. He's there thinking, why the hell has my owner called me Craig? I should be called Charles or Quentin. <laughs> Quentin the Collie. Yes. Um, yes. But yeah, he's probably had a nervous breakdown after doing too many like ultra-high-pressure competitions at Crufts. <laughs> and he's gone on a, on a bit of a sojourn with his owner to... The Valleys. That's a bit more like the Valleys. And uh, and he's developed a bit of a taste for it. For, for Lamb. <laughs> but we wish him well. Yeah, you, you saved yourself there. Yeah, got your, there in the end. Uh, virus or detour around Newcastle and Liverpool. Okay, but let's take a look at what I found on the random article side. The first one I came across was 
Quintus Volusius Saturnius. Sorry, he just sounds like he just sounds like you know the 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 scribe in court for Emperor Nero, who's got a very squeaky voice. And he's like, um, em- Emperor Nero, c- could you could you please uh, quiet us the, the, la- the last of sententious. <laughs> Um, you're, you're, well, you're quite right. You're on the right track. So, so Quintus was in fact a Roman. It'd be weird if he was uh, in, in the 21st century. Quintus Volusius Saturninus, born AD 25. <laughs> no, nothing more specific than that. Uh, that is Anno <laughs> Domini, the year of our Lord. So after Christ, 25 years younger than the great carpenter. He was a Roman senator who lived in the Roman Empire, surprise, surprise, uh, during the Principate. And he was consul in the year 56 with Publius Cornelius Scipio. Sorry, just quickly, what I love about these, the people that lived in those days, as you say, you know, there's no specific month or day when they were born. It's just a year. Um, And also... They can have very hefty Wikipedia pages. I found one earlier in my search about a figure called Torismund, who was king of the Visigoths after his father Theo- Theodoric was killed in a big battle. And this page proceeds to talk about the, the wonderful life of Thorismund, who was a great leader and who led the Visigoths to a triumphant victory <laughs> by extending the whole of the left flank of the Ostrogoth and Hun forces and then he dies, and he's 26. <laughs> <laughs> well, they have to achieve a lot back like then by that age. That was old, 26. So, you know, the uh, ripe old age of 26. And he'd, you know, yeah. he'd really gone for it by then. But you're right. It is also weird. So not only is it odd that they only lived to 26 and did a lot of cool stuff, but also it's weird, I find, how we seem to know all this stuff about these people. Like, a lot of this must be conjecture. Like, particularly the stuff where they go into their personality, where they're like, ooh, well, Quintus was quite an ironic soul and had a bit of a penchant for a coffee down the that's, forum. It's like what? That's How? literally a historian who's got a little pedestal in a, in a museum, just staring at the bust of Quintus Scorpius Saturninus, thinking, "Yes, of course. You know, his left cheekbone really does denote this uh, addiction." To, to espresso or maybe some other type of ground coffee. And then you get this kind of high and mighty, perhaps he's at Harvard, he's an American scholar, and he's looked at that left cheekbone statue and he's gone, <laughs> are you serious? Quintus was not a coffee man. A coffee didn't exist until it was imported from South America in the 1600s. Are you kidding me? He was much more of a diluted wine man because that's what they lived on i believe in roman times i think even the children were on it because it was a bit better than water because the water was a bit icky but quintus was according to tacitus a great historian a member of an ancient and distinguished senatorial family and he lived under the emperor nero nero was of course famously brutal you don't get many neros now well actually you get cafe nero which um yeah (laughs) ties quite nicely into our coffee analogy yeah but you think cafe cafe nero why have they decided to take i've never thought about that a really ruthless bloody debauched emperor as their brand name but you can imagine quintus standing in the forum and he's there proclaiming oh 
tempora omores, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Actually, what I don't, <laughs> I don't know what, why I said et cetera. Half of the form st- standing there thinking, hang on, it took him two words to get to et cetera, et cetera. He's not really said much. I think it was et cetera, et cetera. Well, I, also, this is the other thing. We don't know how the a great debate is how did the Romans speak? Did they have... A, a, un accento italiano, eccetera, eccetera, or do they have, as is pronounced so often in the films, actually quite a stuffy English accent, where they would say, ah, benedictus, benedicat, ut foriminus, hombres, not hombres, but but maybe it's a bit Italian, but the, the weird thing is that nobody knows, but you think of the accents in the films, they don't go for the Italian accent, they typically go for a kind of English accent, and maybe that's because I'm watching the English films, but you think of something like Gladiator, um, and yeah. you know you know where I'm going with this, we've got... Uh, yeah, you mean the Emperor, the Emperor, the, the, emperor, the moment where he says, yes, he, he's in the ring, he's in the ring and he says, don't you dare turn your back on me, slave, turn around, remove your mask and tell me who you are. And then, of course, the great Russell Crowe, Gladiator, turns and says, My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the North, general of the Felix Legions, loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. And, and everyone's just like, Boof, mind blown. But, you know, would Mar- Maximus Decimus Meridius, boss name, by the way, would he have sounded like that? I don't think he would have. But I think, unfortunately, the effect would have been slightly less powerful had he turned around and said, no, no, because <laughs> the thing is that my name is uh, Marcus Aurelius. <laughs> I am the father to a murdered son and the husband to a murdered wife. So really, I don't want to get into this fight with you right now. If I'm completely honest, Maximus, I didn't catch your words. Um, <laughs> thumb down, kill it. I'm on my, I'm on my, I'm on my second week of Duolingo Italian, and I can't say I'm totally com- com- conversational yet. He's also got an Australian twang, though, Russell Russell Crowe. I mean, he's good at hiding it. I say, you know, in interviews, he's a bit, bit fucking gruff. In interviews, he's like, mate, don't, don't talk about my personal life okay i'm gonna smash you in the face in the supermarket i'm pretty sure he smashed people in the face in supermarkets this kind of guy here yeah what uh to clarify we're not making any uh accusations about russell uh crow or otherwise and uh bad enough any... having morgan freeman's legal team on my back last week am i right <laughs> uh thank you gladiator for sponsoring <laughs> yeah. this episode calling yeah. <laughs> Another random article that I generated was the following. Jonu Station. That's J-O-N-U <laughs> Sorry, Station. Sorry, do you want to remove that little plum stuck in your throat? <laughs> no, wait, hang on. I was well, doing you'll see why I did that. <laughs> yeah, 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 uh, that, yeah, was yeah. A, that was a very good accent. Oh, but was, oh was it? I mean, was it? Fine. Okay. Um, Jonu, Jonu, Jonu Station. J-O-N-U Much better. Station. Much better. Jonu. Thank you. Jonu Station, it's a one-line entry, so it's, it's, it's brief to the point, <laughs> um, like my favourite Wikipedia articles. Jonu Station is a station on the Choilima line of the Pyongyang Metro. It is located a short distance from Chongsung Station. <laughs> is that it? 
That's it. It's got a nice photo uh, of, of one of the murals at the Jonu metro station, which is of a um, a man holding a red book and a scroll. Um, it's very very communist in its nature, this particular uh, mural. And it reminds me of the Moscow metro, which is fantastically ornate and beautiful, has sculptures and lots of uh, communistic references, and certainly makes the circle line look rather dated. Don't get me out of the circle line. Although there's new trains, actually, very wide berths. I quite like just stretching my legs out. You know, I'm not saying that I'm lying prostrate as I take the circle line, but there, there would be plenty of space to lie down head to toe if you wanted to, is, is my point. Well, the circle line has become, yeah, not only wider, but also the carriages don't end. It's this straight, you know, I'm more of a Victoria line man, um, but the circle line, there's no gap between the carriages. You just look the whole way up the train. And also, this is really weird to reveal this, but I quite like to play a game with myself because I'm kind of fun like that. <laughs> and I like to stand in the middle of the carriage and I like to balance without touching any of the uh, poles or hand handholds. And you might think, Edward, is that to do with the novel coronavirus? And it's actually not. Um, I did this before the coronavirus. And I like to try and balance. And the thing about the circle line is I can actually look the whole way down the train and understand where the bends are coming up. So I can almost actually position myself a bit like a surfer and get ready for the bend. So I can sort of... Uh, do, you, do, you, do you do this? You're, yeah, no, yeah. No, so you're, you're so I think that the, the novel that springs to mind is The Curious Sister of the Dog in the Nighttime. But no, uh, no, Edward, I've not surfed uh, a tube carriage. I think it's an interesting <laughs> thing to do. I think that actually this is quite a COVID-safe or COVID-friendly activity because you are essentially avoiding clasping the poles, the, the, the support exactly. poles. And... I think everyone's idea of a nightmare in this new world which we live in is mm. the act of touching uh, a yes. public, publicly shared pole. pole. Just that's the worst. That's mm. the worst. You're quite right. I mean, it, forever I will now be even more of a germaphobe, and the simple pleasure of surfing my way down the tunnels of the circle line will become uh, not just a simple pleasure, but in fact a necessity, perhaps. Uh, but, you know, to return to Pyongyang, of course, the capital of North Korea, I can't imagine people surf down the, the Choilima line. No, sadly, I think, I think you wouldn't get subway surfers such as yourself in Pyongyang. I think it's more likely to see subway mourners, people who, you know, have their, their heads mm. buried in a, a book or something and trying not to think about how sad their lives are. A book on Juche ideology, which is Kim Il-sung's interpretation of communism, I believe. So, yeah, probably a book on that. Very unlikely to be a book on much else, in fact. They, they don't have copies of George Orwell's 1984 in no. the Democratic People's Republic of North Korea, the DPRK. Mm -hmm. um, that would be quite ironic, actually, to have a book by George Orwell on, on the North Korean tube. But the trains probably run on time. Let's leave it on that uh, optimistic note. Thank you to our supreme leader, uh, Kim Jong-un, for sponsoring this episode of Earth Calling. We wish him well. He's had a couple of scrapes with bad health, um, so I hope he's doing well and, and uh, that little Rocket Man is... in 
in fighting fighting form. Cause I'm a rocket man, rocket man, burning out my fuse out here alone. That's all we've got time for today. But as ever, thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. Please do give us a rating, download, and subscribe. If you want, send us a voice note even. And if you have Instagram, give us a follow at earth underscore calling underscore pod. What a what a name that rolls straight off the tongue. And do tune in next week when Ed and I will be joining the endless upswipe that is TikTok, attempting to become just as hashtag TikTok famous as the D'Amelio family. And if you don't know who that is, then you're just going to have to be there. See you then. Earth out.